the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a fabulous Saturday. Thank you so much for joining us uh, in another episode of Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi. And as always, it's a pleasure to serve you. Thank you, as always, for allowing us to be on the air uh, into our fourth season already. And I know Christmas is right around the corner. I know also Thanksgiving is right around the corner and Thanksgiving is so special in my life because that was the first time I had a Thanksgiving meal with the family that witnessed to me and shared the gospel with me and I noticed their love, care and compassion for me during that meal. I pray that you will be also able and willing to invite those that do not know Christ during uh, this special meal to share the love of Christ with them in words and in actions as well. And uh, as uh, a reminder also, work on finding someone who is lonely, who doesn't have any connections uh, to be with you uh, during the Christmas time. That's a special time. Many people miss family, miss home, especially international students, maybe refugees, uh, maybe uh, someone who doesn't believe uh, in God. Who knows? Uh, May the Lord bless you and use you in their life. Uh, Today, I am going to continue Uh, uh, along the same line of uh, theme that I've been doing for the last few weeks now, which is updates from uh, Facebook, and um, also continuing with the same theme, uh, the dilemma, whether the Islamic dilemma or the Quranic dilemma. Uh, Not the Quran, but the Quranic dilemma. uh, uh, Adjectively, I'm referring to the Quran itself. Here is what I did uh, recently. Uh, For instance, um, on November 6th, I posted something that uh, initially I didn't think it was going to really make a big buzz, but apparently it touched a nerve. Um, It has to do with one of the early Quranic manuscripts. And here is is a lesson on early Quranic manuscripts. Whenever you hear the word early Quranic manuscripts, you're talking basically 7th, 8th century. That's number one. Number two, early calligraphy or writing, uh, at least uh, in the Mus'hafs or the manuscripts of the Quran, would be usually in what is called the Hijazi. Another term for it is Ma'il. Ma'il is the Arabic way of saying slanted. Hijazi or slanted means the style of writing, you'll see that the straight, li- uh, the vertical lines are slanted, angle, technically speaking. Okay? And typically this is the oldest known uh, style of writing into the manuscripts followed by something called the Kufi, 
And the Kufic comes from the uh, name of the town Kufa, which is found in southern Iraq and between Iraq and Iran, technically speaking. It's, it's a big deal for Shia Muslims. There are shrines in there. Uh, they go and visit there. But it was a prominent city also during uh, the time of the uh, late Umayyads and also specifically the Abbasid dynasty, which took place in the 8th to uh, uh, century, starting from the 8th century, I should say, uh, late 8th century because the Umayyad dynasty ended in 750, that's middle eight. So from that point forward until the fall of the Abbasid dynasty during the Mongol invasion, uh, Kufa uh, played a major role, along with Baghdad, Damascus, and many other places as well uh, in the Levant area. But the style of writing of Kufic is very unique. In fact, it went through a development also. Uh, some believe it's a, a pre-Islamic, uh, came out of uh, Napatean writing, uh, which predates the Arabic. It's the uh, uh, basically uh, the, uh, the the origin of the Arabic writing came from, technically speaking, Nabataean uh, characters that is found in the area uh, around Petra, technically speaking. But the Nabataean dynasty uh, expanded beyond that, of course. And Petra is found in the southern area of Jordan, modern-day Jordan, northern or northwest of modern-day Saudi Arabia. So all that to say is when you see a writing in a Hijazi basically style, you know that this is probably an old one, technically around the 7th century. When you see it in the Kufic or extended Kufic or many other, you know that it's now developed into 8th and beyond centuries, technically speaking. There is also another one called uh, in between the Hijazi and the Kufic called the Meshek, basically, and, and that one uh, is kind of like an in-between the development of Hijazi into Kufic. I'm not trying to bore you here with all these kind of info, but I just wanted to share some backgrounds with you here. Here's another thing. There are six known early uh, Quranic manuscripts. Uh, one is found, technically speaking, is called Samarkand, uh, found in Tashkand, which is in the Central Asia, uh, part of uh, modern-day Russia. And this one... Uh, used to be thought of to be the oldest uh, manuscript until a recent discovery. Uh, it dates, according to many scholars, Quranic scholars, manuscript scho scholars, to uh, around early to mid-8th century. And I'll share with you why that date is significant. And there's another one called the top copy that is found also in a museum in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. That also dates almost the same time. Then you have one that is called the Mail or the Hijazi found in uh, Britain. Uh, that one technically is uh, middle to late 7th century, but some even believe it would have been early 8th century. And then you have one in uh, Paris known as Petropolitanus. Uh, this one also another uh, early one uh, that is also dates early 8th century. Some will say it's late 7th century, technically speaking. And then you have one in Egypt called the Husseini. Uh, that also is uh, 8th century. And then recently, in 1972, and I say recently, of course, in the age of manuscripts, I should say, in 1972, a uh, massive discovery was made uh, as a uh, project to remodel and restore the Great Mosque of Sana'a. Sana'a is the capital of modern-day Yemen. And uh, as they were doing this, they found in a false ceiling in the attic between the uh, that false ceiling and the upper roof, they found a, an attic a storage uh, area where it has many perishment, basically. 
Initially, they didn't know what to make with it. Uh, after examining it, they discovered it's actually Quranic writings. And uh, after dating it, they discovered it could be one of the earliest ever to be discovered. And it's written, of course, primarily with the Hijazi style of writing. It dates um, uh, basically as early as uh, uh, basically early 7th century. Uh, so it could have been during the time of the Prophet of Islam according to Islamic traditional dating, or it could be right after uh, the death of the Prophet. So this, this was huge, as you can uh, imagine. Now, I'm going to invest some time talking about the Sana uh, manuscripts and in later posts and later uh, episodes. Um, the Sana manuscript, as, as uh, exciting as it was, it became also damaging uh, to the reputation of the Quranic infallibility and preservation. For a simple reason, the Sana manuscript, first of all, it's not a complete codex. That's number one. Number two, it contains two layers of writing, a lower layer that was later erased. The lower layer dates around 7th century. Then it was erased called Palmsis process, meaning removing it and rewriting on it. The the upper layer uh, uh, was written over it. The distance in time between them is about 50 years. So that one still may be late 7th century. But then there was discoveries as they examined the lower writings uh, under ultra uh, violent li- lighting, special lighting. They began to trace it, uh, began to decipher it, began to do editing, uh, editing the processes, rewriting it, technically speaking. They discovered that it contained variations from the modern day Quran. It also contained variations from the upper layer. And at the same time, it doesn't have standard, standardized, uh, uh, basically, organization of the Quran itself as we know it today. And it's missing parts uh, that are used or available, I should say, missing words and phrases that are f- found in modern-day Quran. When I say modern-day Quran, I want you to think of this date. It's 1924 Cairo Quran. If I want to use a technical term, it's called the Kyrene Standard Quran, basically, okay? Uh, you'll be surprised to know that it's 1924 when the Quran finally became a standardized fixed manuscript, which means 1,300 years after the time of its revelation. That's how long of a time it took. Again, we'll we'll spend time later in my Facebook and also in my uh, podcast, my radio show, to talk about it. If you're joining us, uh, this is Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and we're talking about problems with early Quranic manuscripts and has to do with a post that I posted in November 6th called The Quranic Dilemma. The title of that post was this, The Missing Allah, meaning the missing word Allah, from early Quranic manuscripts. And specifically, I was talking about something called the Samarkand Manuscript. Samarkand is found in Tashkand, which is part of Central Asia, modern-day uh, Russia. There is a museum in there where you would go and see the entire codex uh, protected on a pedestal, basically. People will visit. Uh, they are, uh, you know, show respect to this uh, text. But all, all the time, I grew up believing, uh, like many Muslims, that this is one of the early uh, Qurans that were edited and rewritten by the third caliph of Islam, known as Uthman. Here is why that's significant also. The, uh, after the death of the Prophet of Islam in 632, uh, supposedly the Quran wasn't in writing yet as a complete codex. They were isolated copies. There were some scribes that took it upon themselves to write it. Uh, two names come to mind right away. One is Ibn Masoud, and another one, 
uh, is uh, Ubay ibn Kab. Later, of course, uh, there is a claim that Ali uh, 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 ibn Abi Talib, uh, Ali, the founder basically of what we know today as the Shia Islam, has his own codex. That actually applies more towards what we know as the Sana'a manuscript, technically speaking. Now, uh, uh, some people left Islam immediately after the death of uh, the Prophet of Islam, and a war known as the War of the Apostate waged between the first Caliph Abu Bakr and those apostates. And a number of the Quranic memorizers, because the Quran, technically speaking, was maintained and transmitted in memory primarily, not in writing. Some of those memorizers end up dying as a uh, uh, cause of uh, a couple of battles. One of them is the Battle of the Amama. And as a result of this, his vice caliph, his name is Omar, who became the second caliph later, advised him to consider the idea of writing the Quran for the first time as a standard copy. And that happened. It took about a year for a committee to collect the Quran. They asked basically for people to present eyewitnesses. Uh, to swear in, to uh, claim that they did hear from the Prophet. Nevertheless, technically in their mind, the Quran was finished in writing. Later they discovered there were parts that were missing. They were added to it. But then this first caliph died. We have a copy now, but was never used to make copies out of it. Then the second caliph, his vice caliph, initially Omar became the second caliph. And he continued to expand Islam. Uh, basically, um, north and in North, America, North Africa primarily. And then came the third caliph, uh, Uthman, who was expanding uh, Islam, technically speaking, the territories of Islam in modern-day Iraq and Syria and Turkey. And he received reports back from his military leaders stating that there has been some uh, scrimmages and fighting that are taking place between the soldiers, the Islamic soldiers, over the Quran and the reading of the Quran. What was that all about? See, the first time the Quran was collected because out of fear of losing it, because many of the memorizers are dying. Now we get a second problem that prompted this third caliph to rewrite and collect the Quran once again. Now, emphasize the word rewrite it, okay, and recollect it, and it, even making a decision to edit it. Uh, you go to the history of the Quran, you'll see some of those things that were done by him. For instance, he decided to split chapter 8 from 9, but decided to not add phrases in chapter 9, which is the opener in the name of Allah, the most merciful, the most compassionate, for instance. Uh, some claims that there were chapters that are missing completely that used to be equal to chapter 9, and so on and so forth. And then a later uh, verse in chapter 9 towards the end was discovered that was missing from the original copy that was done by the first caliph. Okay, you get the idea. And here is what happened. When this third caliph heard that there is fighting, he inquired about the reason. And he discovered that the fighting stemmed from the fact that Arabs spoke different dialects. And when they spoke different dialects, they were reciting the Quran in their own mother tongue dialect. And as a result of this, some words... The Semitic language, by the way, is totally dependent on pointing, okay, and markations and vowel, vowel positions and things like that. If you can read the same word in a different dialect, the meaning of the word can change, actually. So that's why the soldiers were fighting, because they were assuming that the other soldiers from southern Iraq were corrupting the Quran. And the so soldiers from so southern Iraq were thinking that the soldiers from the Arabia uh, Arabian Peninsula were corrupting the Quran, and, and the soldiers from the Arabian Peninsula were thinking that the soldiers from Syria are corrupting the Quran. You see what was going on? Every one of them is reading his own dialect. So the caliph decided to use one dialect, burn all other available copies of the Quran and all other dialects, 
and called this the Uthmanic Quran now. Now, he was never prompted by the prophet to do this in the past or never received a revelation. He's not a prophet. He's not a divinely inspired person. He took it upon himself technically to decide what Quran stands. So that's a man-made product at least, if we can say this. He did this around 654, give or take, A.D., middle 7th century. That's basically when he did this. And traditionally, we were told that he made nine different copies of this standard Quran now and sent them to his uh, basically prominent cities in his caliphate. One of those cities would have been Samarkand, Another one would have been Kufa, another one would have been Basra, another one would have been Damascus, then some will say Medina, others will say Mecca, Baghdad. I mean, the list is all over the board. That's okay. You know, all I'm saying is Muslims will say, aha, we have an original Quran, the Samarkand one, and the top copy one in Turkey also, that's the second Uthmanic one. So these are two copies of the original Quran. Only problem is, Uthman lived and died and, uh, technically speaking, did his Quranic project by the middle of the 7th century. If you remember what I said, Samarkand and Tapkapi are early to middle 8th century. So we have a span of 50 to 100 years. Unless the guy resurrected back from the dead, I'm not so sure how this could be is. So this means we have a problem. Those are not the original Quran. Now, the discovery of the 1972 Sana'a Quran, affiliated by some to Ibn Mas'ud, the scribe of Muhammad, and others attributed to Ali ibn Abi Talib, okay? Either way, if you compare so far, based on the studies that are being done, this Sana'a Quran, that is early 7th century, with the Samarkand or Tapkapi, there are variations between them. So we have a problem. This right there tells us that even if it was Uthman, he made changes to the Quran. You see what I mean? See the problem with what's going on here? And when we begin to do examinations based on some of the history of the Samarkand, the Samarkand basically went through a number of editing, or at least it was removed from one area to another and later was recovered again and finally put to rest in that museum. But along the way, around the 19th century, a process of editing it, they discovered their pages that were missing. So they added uh, papers. So you have a combination of perishments and papers in there. And they discovered some phrases and verses missing. So they write in it basically either on the margin, uh, they wrote it above the verse, and so on and so forth. And part of that also, there were some words that were missing even after the editing process that later in the 1924 Quran, known as the Kyrene standardized copy or the Cairo Quran, they were added some of those phrases like the word Allah, for instance. And I gave an example in my post on November 6th. The post again is called the Quranic Dilemma, the missing Allah from early Quran, uh, Quranic manuscript. And then I emphasized the Samarkand manuscript that I'm talking about. And the subtitle is this, is the Quran really preserved? You look at chapter 2 of the Quran, verse 283, and in there, you immediately will realize that the word Allah is not found in there. The word Allah was missing, actually. Later in the current Quran, the 1924 Quran, it was added. I put an image in there. You can look at the bold 
Arabic writing that looks strange, doesn't have dotting, pointings, or markations, and compared to the modern day of writing Arabic in the Quran, and you will see the word Allah circled in the modern day in the lower part, last line, whereas it's missing from the top line, which is from the original manuscript. You will see that, technically speaking, the word is not there. In English, uh, the phrase would, would say, and let him trust his God, okay? The Cairo Quran added, let him trust Allah, his God. So that's basically the addition. Now, uh, some might say, well, what's wrong with that? It's just a, a kind of like a commentary, an explanation, uh, made, making it a little bit easier to understand who is meant here by his God. I get it. But when a Quran is being uh, claimed to be a preserved, infallible book that went through no changes whatsoever, it's exactly the same Quran that is found in heaven, exactly the same way it was revealed to the Prophet, then please help me understand why is the word Allah is added or missing? Is Was it added now? That means something added to the word? Or was it taken out initially? So this is the dilemma that we're dealing with. This is what dilemma that my Muslim people have to wrestle with. So, so that, that was one of the primary things that I wanted to show you here. And obviously, uh, because of the reaction I received, uh, it wasn't pretty at all. Uh, I was called named. I was called a dog. I was called so many things. That's fine. You know, no big deal. Uh, I'm used to that. Uh, I, I, I'm working on growing a uh, thick skin, technically speaking. But uh, I received... Hundreds, basically, uh, of uh, comments and side comments, if you add them all over 400 plus. Because of that, I, I went ahead and I did another post related to the same manuscript because it appears to me that my Muslim friends are really in denial that there are any problems whatsoever with the Quran. And the next day, technically speaking, I posted another one. Uh, this one is called the Quranic Dilemma. The Quranic Dilemma, Missing Words from the Samarkand Manuscript. So it was within 15 hours, actually, from posting both. The Corrupted Quran. This time, I showed that there is chapter 6, verse 141 of the Quran reads as follows. This is the English translation of it. And he it is who produces gardens of vine, trellised and untrellised, and palms and speed produce, of which the fruits are of various sorts. So it's describing that Allah, the God of Islam, is the one that planted, uh, basically, gardens on earth. Uh, some of them are vines, technically speaking, like grape vines and things like that. And then you read the, uh, the, uh, the phrase that some of these grape vines are trellised, where you have wooden trellises and they grow on it. And untrellis, they where they grow without that on the, on on the ground itself, technically speaking. The only problem is this phrase trellis and untrellis was added later. It wasn't actually in the original uh, uh, manuscript of Samarkand. Once again, we see that somebody tried to further explain things that are unclear. So, was it in the original Quran and was taken out, or was it added later in the 1924 Quran? You get the idea. So the idea that the Quran is perfectly preserved is absolutely ridiculous because one of the early Quranic manuscripts clearly shows it wasn't the least preserved. 
It's not even close to being perfect. It had some issues in it. Whomever, even in the 19th century, did some editing job on the Samarkand manuscript, did a terrible job. They wrote things on the side. They added words. They re-inked some of the uh, faded uh, ink, technically speaking. They added papers in, in the middle of perishments to try to fix what was missing. So technically speaking, you do not have the full Quran and somebody took it upon themselves to add things. It, technically speaking, the Samarkand has only 43 chapters of the Quran. It starts from verse 7, actually, of chapter 2 and ends in verse 10 of chapter 43. Okay? So... Chapter 1 is missing completely, and starting from chapter 43, verse 11, you don't have the rest of the Quran. So somebody, uh, later in 1924, completed that missing Quran. And that's the issue here. My time is up, so hopefully you're enjoying these posts. Please invite others not only to uh, to follow me. I have reached the max, by the way, of friends, 5,000. But we want you now to go and like us at our page on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Sierra International. That's C as in Charlie, I-R-A International. Visit us on our website, sierrainternational.com. Go to our YouTube also videos and the channel at youtube.com forward slash International. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.